Well, hello everybody. There must be something in the air, or something happening to the air, because this week we're talking about The Happening. This is the Bad Movie Journalists. I'm Christian. I'm Connor. Spoiler alert, it's the plants. It's the goddamn plants. Alright, so I'm not sure how well-versed you are, Connor, with the Shyamalan movies, uh, the back catalog of his filmography, but he's made some movies I really like. Um, like Unbreakable, Sixth Sense, Split, even Signs is pretty good. Um, so he can make really, really good movies in my opinion, but this is, um, this is something. What do you think? Yeah, he's had a very strange career. He, the beginning of his movie making career leading up to like the Sixth Sense was so good. And then he gets to Lady in the Water and between that and After Earth, this like weird era, he makes so many movies over like a 10 year span that are awful and then he comes back in 2015 and then he goes back to back to back with the visit split and glass which are all just incredible movies i don't understand how someone makes unbreakable and then 2010's the last airbender it just it does not make a lot of sense to me his career but he clearly knows how to make a good movie when he wants to he's a he's a real mixed bag i feel like you know um like you said some stuff you get out of him is really good and some stuff is just really bad and it kind of seems like there's no way to know what you're gonna get because how you're right i mean how does someone go from making after earth or the last time everybody which is an offensively bad movie to following up with split in a few years which i really 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 like it, it doesn't make a lot of sense and the problem too is like a lot of his movies when you hear about them sound like great movies you're like that's gonna be awesome i remember hearing that they m night Shyamalan was doing the last airbender and i was like oh my god that's gonna be incredible i can't wait to see you know avatar come to the screen like that and then it came out and i was like this is trash i don't (laughs) i don't know what to make of this um but it's very strange but along those lines we just watched the happening so, <clears throat> The Happening came out in 2008. It's an apocalyptic thriller movie, obviously written, produced, and directed by M. Not Shyamalan, and stars Mark Wahlberg, Zoe Deschanel, John Legazumo, and Betty Buckley, who is listed fourth on here and is in five minutes of the movie. So, really, it stars Wahlberg, Deschanel, and for about a quarter of the movie, Legazamo. It follows them as they try to escape an inexplicable natural disaster. This movie had a $48 million budget, and somehow made $163.4 million. It grossed $13 million and ranked number three at the box office on its opening weekend, on its opening day, I apologize, only behind The Incredible Hulk, notable for Ed Norton's only MCU appearance, and Kung Fu Panda. Over the weekend, the total gross came out to over $30 million. This movie almost made its budget back in the first weekend, which is hard to believe after I watched this. It's really crazy to think about, especially when it's competing against movies like The Hulk and like Kung Fu Panda. You know, I mean, say what you will about The Incredible Hulk, but I remember generally liking it. Same thing with Kung Fu Panda. That trilogy turned out to actually be great. I don't think anyone saw that coming. But the fact that this movie was hanging tough, was very, very successful, is extremely surprising. Actually, I remember when it came out, that I remember like the hype going into it that Shyamalan was coming out with this movie and it sounded awesome. I definitely wanted to see it. Uh, I didn't in the theaters at the time, but I remember the build up to it was pretty good. Yeah, the build up to this movie was really it was really well thought of like coming out. Um, like people really wanted to see this movie. It was after Lady in the Water and a lot of people thought Shyamalan was going to come back from what was essentially his first kind of flop with this like real real blockbuster like great movie and instead he turned out uh this movie so reception wise this movie has an 18 percent on 180 reviews on rotten tomatoes the audience score is a 24 and from review aggregator metacritic it has a 34 out of 100 from 38 reviews pretty terrible um some of the favorites that i wrote down critic james uh baron and said the film had neither quote, a sense of atmosphere, nor strong character development. He called the environmental message, quote, way too obvious, and concludes, the happening is a movie to walk out of, sleep through, 
or best of all, just not bother with. But Stephen King, Stephen King, the master of horror, liked this film, saying of Fox's two summer creep shows, the other one was X-Files, I Want to Believe, give the edge to the happening, partly because M. Night Shyamalan really understands fear, partly because this time he's completely let himself go, hence the R rating, and partly because Lady in, after Lady in the Water, he had something to prove. Um, some other ones, critic Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times awarded the movie three stars and found it oddly touching, quoting, It is no doubt too thoughtful for the summer action season, but I appreciate the quietly realistic way Shyamalan finds to tell a story about possible death of man. And then Mark Wahlberg offered his own opinion of the happening in 2010, saying that Amy Adams, who was originally in consideration for Deschanel's role, had, quote, dodged a bullet by not starring in the film, and then saying, quote, it was a really bad movie, F it, it is what it is, you can't blame me for not wanting to play a science teacher, at least I wasn't playing a cop or a crook. Which is just absurd for Wahlberg to say. Not to jump too much into it, but I really don't like Mark Wahlberg as a person. And him saying stuff like this... (laughs) Like, come on, man, if you're going to be in a movie, even if it's bad, at least try. Um, give some effort. Don't just be like, ah, well, eh, it's a bad movie. Screw this. Uh, at least I'm not playing this stupid character. Like, man, just be thankful that you're in movies at all. Yeah, his uh, his disdain for this movie and that part kind of shone through, which uh, we'll dive into in a second. But Christian, this was, I believe, your first watch of this movie ever. So what do you kind of think about it? Yeah, I completely missed this movie when it came out, pretty much because I didn't hear good things about it, you know, as the reviews show. But for me, this is a very bad movie. (laughs) Um, It's not fun. I didn't find it overly entertaining. It felt strangely cheap to me, which is something I usually don't really associate with Shyamalan movies. He's usually pretty good about budget and, you know, set dressing and stuff like that. But something about this movie, to me, felt like it came out modestly 10 years before before 2008. There were some stuff I actually did enjoy, and we're going to get into it later. And there's a couple parts of this movie that I thought actually worked pretty well. It surprised me. I thought my initial thought of this movie was that it was going to be just complete, absolute trash all the way through. But there were a few parts that I actually quite enjoyed. Um, What were your thoughts? Yeah, overall, this is not a good movie, Um, which is kind of a shame, actually, because I really like the premise of this movie. I did a lot of research uh, on this movie coming into this rewatch, and I viewed it with a little bit of a different mindset from my first viewing years ago, which somehow actually made it kind of more disappointing. Uh, But overall, I think this movie was really absolutely killed by its main protagonist's pretty atrocious outputs as far as acting goes, and then... Some pretty suspect plot movement. Um, But you were talking about how it felt kind of cheap, which kind of segues me perfectly into my fun facts. One of them being that Shyamalan described this film as, quote, a paranoia movie from the 1960s on the lines of The Birds and Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And at one point, kind of pretty much days before it came out, said, we were making an excellent B movie. That's our goal. Which, if you don't know, is kind of like a lower budget, not as like blockbuster movie. Um, So... Maybe it was intentional that he kind of tried to make it look older and cheaper. Um, You know, a $48 million budget for 2008 feels high to me, but, you know, compared to what it is nowadays, like, it's really not that big of a budget at all. It really isn't, and I don't necessarily fully know how I feel about his statement that, you know, we're we're making a B-movie. This is is supposed to be bad, guys. I'm I'm in on the joke. You know, I, I don't know if he if that's serious if that's the actual truth because i could almost see in my mind someone who halfway through production realized that this wasn't that good of a movie just kind of turning heel and being like yeah this yeah we we know we we know that this is a b movie that's that was our goal guys yeah (laughs) i get it but if that was his goal the whole time then hey it works to some extent yeah i mean when i read that knowing what I had seen in the movie the first time I watched it, I went, that feels like something where someone, you know, really screws the pooch on something and then is like, I wasn't really trying that hard, you know, something like that. We all know that sort of guy. 
Um, and that's kind of what it seemed like. But also then I thought about it. And if you're trying to make a real horror movie, are you really casting Mark Wahlberg as your lead? So I don't know. Maybe it checks out. Um, but this this film is uh, Shyamalan's first and only movie to ever receive an R rating. A man known really, you know, for kind of making horror and fear movies. Shocking that this is his only one. It was originally entitled The Green Effect and pitched to various studios, but no one wanted it. So he took it back home to Philadelphia, turned, uh, turned the plot around a little bit, renamed it The Happening, and then someone bought it. An Indian company named UTV financed 50% of this film's budget and distributed it to India while Fox took care of the other territories. So Fox had to lay out only 50% of the budget, so they essentially paid $25 million for an M. Night Shyamalan film, which is insane. The tagline, It's Happening, which was associated with this film, was also used in Signs. So I guess good job being economical, M. Night. Good job with the repeating there. Ashlyn Sanchez, who plays Jess, who is the girl in this movie, was never credited in another film or show after this movie. Apparently just upped and quit acting. Correlation does not equal causation, but we can theorize on why that was. And then my personal favorite, The Happening came in 8th in a 2010 poll by Empire Magazine of the 50 worst movies of all time. That is, that, that's rough. <laughs> that is always rough. It's not great. I did see another poll where it was a little higher up on worst movies, but the, uh, the publication was not one that I respected, so I chose to leave it off. But let's dive into the bin here, Christian. Um, you know, I, I know you had some thoughts on this movie. I did. And um, I'm, <laughs> now, I'm, I'm excited to talk about this movie, in short. <laughs> so I want to start off with what on earth is the intro to this film? Is this something that you picked up on when you started this started watching this movie too? So when the movie started, and again I hadn't seen this movie in years, I was making myself a good old fashioned, and so I was at my bar cart and I turned around and was like, "Why does it look like the screen is a moving Windows XP background for five minutes?" It was. And then the fonts came up, and the fonts looked like they were out of clip art from 97. It was just very, very strange. Yeah, the beginning of this movie is just really ugly. I, I can't put it in any other way. Yeah, it, it's it's this weird panel of the sky, of the clouds, moving in kind of like a sped-up motion. But the way it's cut between that and the choice of font, which is just a very, very unappealing font, it made it look like it was made in... Windows Movie Maker. And on top of that, it took like three and a half minutes to get through, which is a pretty long time, I feel like, from pressing play to I'm um, seeing a character on the screen. I mean, that is a lot of real estate for a film to take up with that time. Especially when this movie's only pretty, this movie's exactly 90 minutes long. It's an hour 30 and like 21 seconds. So it's exactly 90 minutes long and for almost four of those opening minutes to be this weird intro with credits and then for you know whatever it is at the end five plus minutes to be the outgo credits you're losing 10 minutes of a 90 minute movie to strange scenes of clouds with text over them it's a very it's not a great decision it was strange i i i agree like you said especially when you're dealing with that short of a runtime i mean just like, what What are we doing? Speed that up. Yeah. You know what else is a, not a great decision? Casting Mark Wahlberg as your lead in this movie. When I was watching this, knowing that he hated this movie just shines through this performance. I've never been a huge fan of Mark Wahlberg as a person or an actor. Um, and I've never been a... I like Zoe Deschanel. I'm a big fan of New Girl, the show she was in for a long time on Fox. But I've never been a huge fan of a lot of her performances. Putting them at the front of this movie as the primetime performers definitely held this movie back a lot. It's definitely the number one problem with this movie is the choice in those two castings. I like John Leguizamo just fine. The biggest, what, another one of the crimes of this movie is only featuring a great actor in such a limited performance. I, I thought that kind of sucked. But yeah, there are, Wahlberg and Deschanel are the wrong choices on so many levels. I mean, like I already mentioned, I really am not a big fan of Mark Wahlberg at all. But 
he can act. He, I mean, check out Boogie Nights. I mean, he gives an amazing performance in that movie. So Mark Wahlberg is a good actor. He's not doing it here. As soon as he comes out on screen, you're right. It shows completely. This man did not want to be here at all. The entire time he looked almost mad or bothered that he was on screen. Like his face read to me like, man, I I don't want to go film another scene right now. What are we doing? (laughs) So uh, that was, that was not good. And while I like this Zoe Deschanel overall, I think she's, from what I've seen, I haven't seen a lot of range in a lot of stuff she's done. She kind of always plays a very similar character. And she does it really, really well. Um, when she's in the right role, I think she knocks it out of the park. But I don't think she's the right choice to carry this movie or kind of be like one of the more emotional characters in the film. It's a it's a weird choice, too, for her to be, like you were saying, an emotional character because, A, she's not great at showing a lot of emotion through her parts. And, B, they intentionally made her character someone who... at literally at a couple points of the movie says, I don't like showing my emotions. And then you're supposed to, you as a viewer, emotionally invest in her journey, knowing that you basically have no idea what's going on with her character. It's interesting to contrast like Leguizamo compared to Wahlberg and Deschanel in this movie, especially in that scene where it's basically one of Leguizamo's last films. He's saying goodbye to his daughter. It's this like really emotional moment. And he, as this tremendous actor, is putting forth so much emotion and this and that. And then they cut to Zoe Deschanel and she looks like a plastic doll. Like there's just no emotion rating over her face. And Mark Wahlberg has the same face on that he does later when he's talking to a plastic tree. So you've got this like incredible actor who's channeling this amazing emotional performance of saying goodbye to his daughter, knowing he'll probably never see her again. And then you've got two wooden blocks on the other side trying to reciprocate. And it just was this strange contrast where you could tell they were so out of their depth in these roles. And and another thing to add to that, too, is that they just don't have any chemistry Um, between the two of them. I just it's I will never believe that Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel were in a relationship. And that's based completely on the fact that they just did not at all look like they were into each other. They didn't kind of like transfer any sense of I love this person or I want to be with this person I I I didn't do any research to whether or not like Mark Wahlberg and Zoe Deschanel got along but from my perspective it didn't seem like in real life they probably got along too well I mean I, I could be dead wrong but it didn't really seem to me like they got along at all in real life which is funny because the movie kind of starts out on their relationship is on the rocks as it is yeah, I, I did research into, like, the movie, and I didn't see anything that, like, called out that they didn't get along, like, uh, you know, the characters on Batman Forever did. But watching them per- act together, like, it's very obvious that they're, they wouldn't be friends in real life. And I could be wrong. Listen, I could be wrong. But I just get the feeling I'm not. They don't seem like people who are getting together on Thanksgiving or anything like that. Not at all. I mean, and so, something else I want to add to that that I actually didn't write down, but there were parts of this movie that it felt like not everyone was really aware of what movie they were in. I don't, I don't know if you got that vibe too. The main thing where I got that was when they tried to like, this might not be what you're going for, but when they tried to launch into that like weird comedy trope at parts of it, like he, I don't know. It just felt like in places like they were trying to do things with this movie that didn't fit with what the overall tone of this movie was. And then like, they kept zooming in on Mark Wahlberg's face for these, like, emotional moments, and Mark Wahlberg just looked like Mark Wahlberg. Like, he didn't look like he was bothering to look upset or anything like that. He was just like, this is a thing that's happening in front of me. A man is being run over by a lawnmower. What's funny about that, and I'll get into some of this in the beauty, but Mark Wahlberg has some parts in this movie that I thought were kind of funny, but it didn't really seem like any other character was given any other comedic part. So you have Mark Wahlberg, who seems at least to me seemed like he knew what movie he was in where he knew that this was kind of schlock and was giving a more schlocky performance but it seemed like everyone around him was being dead serious the whole time yeah you're 100 percent right but if that just having that one person who throws it off like that and you know i'm gonna go with the outlier here i'm gonna assume that everyone else was acting as they were instructed and mark Wahlberg was 
taking a piss because, you know, he doesn't like the movie. Um, you know, just having that one person who's kind of throwing off the vibe really just throws off the whole movie, especially when it's your, you know, one of your main protagonists. Um, and to me, that really shines through in, like, the dialogue of this movie because I don't think it's necessarily, like, poorly written. I rag on screenwriters a lot because we tend to watch these movies and, like, I listen to the lines and I'm like, oh, God, like, what is that? Like, I mean, at one point, Zoe Deschanel says, like, we can't just stand here as uninvolved observers. And I was like, who would say that? But most of the dialogue in this movie isn't bad, but it's performed like it's being read. It doesn't feel authentic at all. It's not really, like, in the moment at all. Like, at one point, Mark Wahlberg turns to someone and says, with whom? Which isn't wrong on its face, but if I was in the middle of... Uh, what they think at the time I think is a terrorist attack trying to figure out where to go to be safe with my family I wouldn't be trying to figure out the correct word out of who and whom to use in this situation I'd probably be swearing a lot more it just like it doesn't a lot of their reading doesn't feel authentic to me I I agree and it's it's examples like that where saying with whom is technically correct but it's not how people talk you know, it, that's not conversational. Like you're saying, that's what you were reading. Or if you were trying to be overly proper. Or if you were writing something out. But I, I don't feel like that's a very commonly thrown around word. Especially in a like serious situation. You know, you're, you're, you're probably not thinking about, like you said, oh, I'm using who or whom. You're probably worrying, man, there's freaking terrorists here. It's not great. And it just comes off as in, unauthentic. Um, another thing, too, and this was one of the main criticisms, I think, of the film. This film is so on the head. I am a fan of mediocre art. That's kind of the thing we do here. We defend mediocre things. But I am also a huge fan of subtlety and trying to have to figure stuff out on my own. And when you have Zoe Deschanel saying when they're getting abandoned at the diner, can you believe how crappy people are? When you have a sign outside that model home community that says you deserve this as they just watched like 15 people die, the adults shooting those kids, while that is an insane moment of the film, you know, rather than risking themselves to come outside, the plants killing the large populations of people and leaving small, like it's very on the nose it's very direct and it's almost like insulting to the viewer to make it that direct because it's almost like we don't trust you to figure this out on your own so we have to shove the message that we're trying to get over down your throat yeah this is uh, this is something i definitely talked about before in this podcast and this is definitely something that i will probably bring up several more times for however long we do this show but this movie really does not do the show-not-tell thing very well. Like you're saying, everything is said anytime there's a major plot point. It's just said. And in this movie's defense, it's really hard to show something happening when the thing that is happening is literally invisible and being caused by the world around them. So that is an uphill battle already. But there had to have been some way to show it visually. Maybe give it like a certain hue or the plants look a little off or something to kind of translate that we are making a movie. I'm not reading a script. No, it's exactly it. It just it's it's difficult to to watch a movie and try and like invest in it when you just feel like the message is being thrown at your face. But that's basically all that I had for the bin. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on? The other things I did want to say were that I think the premise of this movie would have been so much better as a novel because, you know, like we've already said, and we'll talk more about pretty soon, but I like the idea of this movie. But it just doesn't work on screen for me. I I think that if you sat down and read this and had a lot of time to really invest yourself in like what the characters are doing you would probably feel really attached and kind of freaked out but the movie moves at breakneck speed and i don't really feel like you ever have time to relate or empathize to the characters yeah no that's a great point and another podcast i listen to is called the rewatchables um if you guys like good movies go listen to the rewatchables 
Um, but in that, they have um, uh, a thing where they talk about, could this movie be made as a 10-part Netflix series? And would it be better for it? And I think this is a great example of, like, if someone was to remake The Happening as a 10-part Netflix series, I think it would be exponentially better. Like, you could spend so much more time and make these characters so much more interesting. And that way, at the end, when all this sort of crazy stuff is happening to them and you're trying to watch them move on and get past these, like, emotional barriers that they have with each other and reconnect while the world is falling apart around them, you would care so much more. And then they could invest so much more time in backstory about, like, watching people try and figure this out. And it's slowly realizing that the plants were doing it and it wasn't this water attack or it wasn't this terrorist attack. You could have spent so much more time with these characters and it would have been so much better off for it. Definitely. I I completely agree. Well, now that we've kind of shed off all the negative things, you know, we've we've done um, that cleanse thing of our bodies, of all the bad, and we've thrown it away in the bin. And I think that it's time that we uh, both get a little beautiful if you know what I mean. So how about you started us off with the beauty here, Connor? I am impossible to make beautiful, but I can tell you about beauty when I see it. Stephen King saying that M. Night Shyamalan knows horror, and then you watch these death scenes. And making this movie an R-rated movie and getting to see like that horror shine through really is impactful. And I wrote some of like the, the ones that like really just made me uncomfortable to watch, which was like the the three person suicide with the gun very early on, the lion dismemberment, the scene where Legazamo somehow survives this is a note that I wrote down, somehow survives a, a horrifying crank uh, car crash, pretty unscathed, but then gets out and grabs a piece of glass and starts cutting his wrists in the middle of the street. The people when they turn the corner that are all hanging from the trees. The lawnmower death where the man just lies down and they show him getting like three quarters of his body mown over with that thing. And then the scene at the end where the old lady is bashing her head through the window and you can see glass sticking out of her eye. It's all just very startling to watch. You, This was my second time watching this movie and I was still like squirming in my seat at a couple of them. I agree with you completely. I definitely found the death kind of shocking immediately. That's one of the things that overall worked for me. Uh, None of the deaths felt too silly except for one where it was the guy in the lion cage who was being dismembered, which was just some of the worst green screen I have ever seen in my life. And... I'm I'm not kidding when I say that when I worked at um, this visual effects school years ago, the students there who were learning how to do green screen for the first time did way better than this scene. And again, building off the premise that this is a B-movie, it's hilarious. But other than that, I found all the other deaths pretty affecting, um, especially like the one where the people just start dropping off the a skyscraper that's being built i i thought that was pretty crazy too like that's a genuine fear i would have working uh, like working on a tall building like that so i thought that was um like immediately a good way to start off like this is this is really not good um and i also liked how whenever something was going to happen everyone just completely stopped moving um and everything froze it kind of really added to that like eerie sense yeah no that's 100 percent true and adding to the eerie sense too is something i wanted to talk about The score of this movie is really good. I went back and listened to the actual soundtrack today um, that you can get, and it's a very simple soundtrack. There's like a three-note motif that they use pretty much through every every track, but it's used to such great effect. They use minor notes and crescendos and volume and tone changes at every scene, and I just found that that was investing me more in these sorts of like moments when you were starting to build up and you knew something terrible was going to happen or you the the music would start to rise and you would like kind of creep to the edge of your seat a lot of movies miss on this and i think that i think we've had this conversation off pod before but to me background music in movies and video games is some of like the most underrated art ever because it's got to be back enough where you don't notice it most of the time but then it needs to rise to the occasion in the perfect way. And this did in pretty much almost every scene that I saw it in. 
I completely agree. And I mean, this is something that I think Shyamalan is typically pretty good at is factoring in score and using sound design. And he definitely does it here. Like you're saying about sound and music being imported to film. It reminds me of, you know, the famous story at this point of when John Carpenter was making the Halloween and initially when he showed it to the producers, they hated it, hated it and said it wasn't scary at all. And then he went back and made this now iconic soundtrack to Halloween and everyone thought it was the scariest movie they've ever seen. Um, So sound is extremely important. And yeah, I mean, the soundtrack here is really, really good. I also want to talk about like the basic premise of the movie because I think that's something that when people talk about this movie kind of gets passed over. It's actually a really good premise for a movie. Um, I thought a couple things were really nice about it. One, the decision to make the people suicidal and not homicidal. I think making them homicidal is kind of like the obvious instinct, right? And it also kind of raises the risk because all these people start hunting each other. But making them suicidal is almost even more unsettling where they're not turning into hunters, but they're basically just like the first one is she just drives this like, I don't know what that was in her hair. I don't know what you call that, but she just took it out and drove it into the side of her neck slowly. Like you watching these people just slowly harm themselves on camera in front of you is legitimately terrifying. And then the second thing about it was that they kind of, almost made it sentient whatever it was that was affecting the toxin that the plants released they almost made the plants sentient in the way they were hunting these people down like there's that scene where they're all they meet up with all those other groups of people on that road in the back the back country and they're all just sitting there going yeah five miles that way there's a bunch of dead people six miles that way there's a bunch of dead people right down the road we saw all these people hanging from trees and it's almost like the plants are cornering the humans into like this this field that they end up attacking them in and that's horrifying like imagine that was a person like a group of people hunting you it's terrifying to think about and now imagine you don't even know where it's what's happening you don't know what it's coming from you don't know how to avoid it how to get ready for it anything like it's it's legitimately a really really good premise for a movie that's actually something that I think is like really works in the favor of this movie is that it does have a really solid premise. I mean, what's scarier than an enemy that you cannot fight, you cannot see, and has a hundred percent for fatality rate? There's just nothing you can do. And like like you said, um, there is a real sense of hopelessness in this movie. There's there's nothing at all that anyone can do. This is going to wipe people out, and that's and and that's the end of it. Um, and I think that's. A really really cool thing because you don't get a lot of things that are truly man versus nature but having it in a way where it's just nature doing what nature does is great because you can't attribute the horror to any human um, any tangible enemy even talking about it now is very abstract it's just this force this the plants evolved and decided to kill everyone and that works and I think what else is scary about that is that Nature, we don't think about it too often because, you know, we live in a civilized and developed uh, world, but nature is pretty horrifying. If you've ever done any research on anything like the fungal network, for example, and basically how fungus and mushrooms act as almost brokers for nutrients in the wild and how they transport nutrients between trees, it is very, very fascinating and only makes me scared of being like, man, I I don't know. Could something like this happen? It very well could. Another thing too, and I don't know if this should go into the bin or this should go in the beauty, but we should have spent three quarters roughly of this movie with Betty Buckley. I don't know anything about why that woman was so unhinged, but when they came into her house and she was just shouting at them and slapping the daughter's hand and being, like, set the nicest person ever by feeding them and letting them stay the night, but then accusing Mark Wahlberg of trying to steal her things and kill her in the night. It was such a strange character, and we never got to, like, figure out what happened with her. Yeah, she was definitely my favorite part of this movie. I thought that whole scene where they go to her house and she's serving them dinner and everything, 
was easily my favorite part of the movie. While I thought that a lot of the movie didn't have any particularly interesting shots or a lot of like very heavily artistic choices, I felt like that was all present here, and it really has to do a lot with her performance where I didn't know what she was going to do. It, there was parts of me where I thought, is she just going to turn and murder everyone? Is she slowly being affected? Is it, it, it was a really, really good questioning performance where she and herself was kind of scary. She was more scary than like anything else in the movie to me. And, and I think this is clearly where M. Night Shyamalan got the idea to go on and make The Visit, which is a, you know, a, a much better movie. But I thought that was all really, really good. Um, some of the shots in that whole scene, the whole time spent in the house, I thought were really good. For example, I really, really actually like genuinely thought was awesome was when she was giving her big speech to Mark Wahlberg and the camera is just focused dead on her in the center and everything behind her is very symmetrical. And it's very unnerving because you don't see a lot of people compose scenes like that. Uh, and, and it works because of that, because it's just such a, bizarre way to shoot something with just your one actress in the middle literally pointing at the camera yelling at it it kind of made me feel like she was almost yelling at me um and i i I really like that yeah no i i thought her character was great and i was disappointed that we only got maybe like five to ten minutes with her because i could have spent a lot more time getting to know what what was wrong with that woman um, two thing, well, one thing I want to touch on, two scenes, because I know I mentioned earlier the comedy of this movie didn't hit home for me. There were a couple parts that I thought were very funny. Um, one you actually wrote down, I also wrote down, which is the need, he needs a second to think moment in the field where everyone's yelling at Mark Wahlberg and he's just rattling off this strange, like, scientific method to himself and saying he needs a second to think. That was very funny. And then the weird bit with the plant guy that he's, like, super into hot dogs. (laughs) He just kept turning to everyone and being like, you like hot dogs, right? Asking if they brought the mustard, complimenting the shape of a hot dog and their protein content. It was very out of left field, but it made me laugh out loud. I absolutely loved the I need a second scene. I thought that was, like, maybe too funny. I enjoyed it just so much of all these people bickering, going back and forth. And every time it went to Mark Wahlberg's face, all he had to say was, guys, I need, I need a second. I just need to think. Just let me think just, just for a second. Just I need a second to think. And I got the biggest kick out of that. I mean, it's it's a weird choice. It seemed like something that you would see in SNL more than anything. But I thought it was so funny. I... This either this scene for me either needs to this needs to be all of the movie, or it should be in a different movie because it doesn't feel tonally very similar to anything else. Um, but I genuinely thought that was hilarious, and that scene on its own is worth the movie to me. Another scene is when he's just talking to the plant, and he's like trying to, like almost make peace with it, and then he realizes it's it's a fake plant. What what a strange scene to be in this movie, but. Uh, Again, I I thought it was another choice that was pretty funny. Yeah, when he touched it and went, plastic. I'm talking to a plastic plant. That that broke me a little bit. And then, this is unintentional comedy. I don't think this was meant to be funny. But when when he's whispering about uh, Betty Buckley's character at night, and then she appears in the hallway, and she says, were you plotting to murder me? And he gives the most unauthentic, what? No. He goes, what? No. And as soon as they, they, as soon as it happened on screen, I went, he was trying to kill that woman. That's how that came off. He 100% was going to kill her. It was hilarious because it didn't seem like he was capable of hitting the emotional range he needed to in that scene. And it definitely wasn't intentional, but it did make me laugh. Without question. I thought, I, I thought the same thing, actually. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because... Yeah, it really seems like Mark Wahlberg was trying to kill that woman. He, It almost seemed like something I would see in Scooby-Doo, um, where it's like, hey, are, are, are you guys after me? No, I'm... I'm not trying to kill you. What? Why Why would you think that? that? That's so silly of you to think. It was 
a very strange choice on Mark Wahlberg's part, but I did like it because it 100% seemed like he was lying. He definitely was. You cannot convince me that Mark Wahlberg did not go in there to kill that old lady. Let's move into the cell, Christian. Um, I'll start us off because I think we can both agree this movie isn't a good movie. So I'm not going to sit here and tell people it is a good movie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to pretend like I had a joy watching this movie. Doesn't work. A lot of it doesn't work well. The acting isn't great. Mark Wahlberg is present on your screen, and that's normally not a positive. However, I do think there are reasons to watch this movie. Like I said earlier, the premise of this movie is really good. And when I'm watching it, I kind of let myself get caught up thinking about what I would do in that situation. Imagine everywhere you go, there's just mass bodies laid and strung out in the most horrifying of ways. I don't buy Marky Mark's reaction to any of it. But it's absolutely horrifying to think think about living through that. It's especially poignant in this year where there's a global pandemic going on that we basically know nothing about. And we're watching humanity kind of let it let this virus ravage itself. And the way it kind of impacted this the way that virus impacted my viewing, it definitely added a filter and some emotion to me. Because, you know, it's not exactly the same thing, but it is, you know, nature kind of ripping through humanity in ways we don't understand yeah this this movie is somehow more relevant today than it was when it came out there's this thing where they don't talk about it for very long but one of the things that they do say is that people should avoid crowds the reason being is that the i guess the plants they it, it kills them a lot quicker if they're in big groups and isn't that just so funny to think about in 2020 amidst the COVID-19 pandemic that self-isolating could save some lives. It's, you know, it's, 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 it's just really funny to me how that was being said then about this virus. Um, I don't know guys. Um, maybe people should be staying inside is all I'm saying. Maybe go back and watch the happening just so you can, uh, learn that. But like, like, like you were saying, I do think there's a lot of fun stuff here. It's we've established. This is not a secretly great movie. This isn't Batman Forever, guys, which I still love. But this movie was... It has interesting stuff. It's got a couple parts that, whether intentional or unintentional, I did find pretty funny. There was some pretty good horror aspects with a lot of the deaths that were pretty grisly. And it's a scary... It's, it's inherently a scary premise. You know, it's inherently a, a thing that I think most people would fear just based on the fact that there's nothing you can do. Just a real sense of hopelessness throughout this movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. And secondly, and this was my new take on this movie that I, I mentioned earlier, it really does remind me of, like, really old horror movies that you'd watch now and think, like, boy, this is not a good movie. But it's kind of a genre classic, and you enjoy it for that for that moment. Like, he called out the birds in his interviews um, and Invasion of the Body Snatchers, but... What came to mind for me was Return of the Living Dead. So and the reason it did is because last year, a bar that we lived by had a horror movie night for Halloween. And they played Return of the Living Dead. And me and my girlfriend went and saw it. And she's a huge horror movie fan. And we were watching it. And I hadn't seen this movie in I, I don't know how many years. But that was a bad movie. It's comically bad, especially by modern day standards. Now, it's, it's very easy to say and correct to say that we should be holding a movie that came out in 2008 to higher standards than we hold a movie that came out in 1985 and was seemingly kind of like a parody of itself anyway. And especially since The Happening seems to trying to be taking itself seriously in most of it, where you know Return of the Living Dead arguably wasn't. But knowing that M. Night Shyamalan wanted this to be more of like a lower budget B movie, it let me kind of relax my expectations on the second watch. And I I don't know if like an appreciation for like the comedic traps came in or if it was, you know, me understanding the premise a little more. But I did enjoy this movie a lot more this time, kind of knowing what at least he said his intentions were. Definitely. And, you know, I think, you know, we said before I had a $48 million budget. I think this movie almost would benefit from having a little bit less budget and kind of making it just really, really diving deep into the B-movie thing. And there's a lot of great B-movies out there. One that I watched the other day that 
I had a budget of maybe a couple thousand dollars it was called Velasa Pastor and it is phenomenal. A stupid movie but just absolutely phenomenally funny. Same thing with Return of the Living Dead. I love that movie. I'll put it on on repeat uh, during the Halloween season. Anytime I don't know what to watch, I could throw that movie on. And that movie works so, so well because it just does not take itself seriously at all. Going back to the happening, it, it could have benefited a little bit from being a little less serious. You know, people, despite Mark Wahlberg didn't want to be in this movie, it could have been great if everyone was on the same page of we're making something silly and we're going to roll with it. But like you're saying, knowing that M. Night Shyamalan wanted to make a sillier B-movie, um, knowing that now, I think that definitely adds to it. And I think if I were, by some strange happenstance, ever to watch this movie a third time, having that in mind would really, really help. I think that could have been translated in another better. But based on what we got, I think that, you know, I, I think this works as a B-movie. And especially, like, what you were saying of reminding you of older horror movies. I agree with that, too. If this movie was made in 1970 and the reason that you never saw any actual antagonist was because they just did not have the technology to do it, then this would probably be pretty good. The only reason I think that, you know, it's looks so awful is because it was made in 2008 and we know that we can do better. I mean, 2008 Iron Man came out. Um, the effects of that are still great. So... Why, why is it that, like, you know, we couldn't have done a little bit more with animation or, in the opposite side, go back and kind of double down on the B-movie premise, you know? Yeah, no, I get it. But, Christian, I will point out that it's difficult to do that when you have a $50 million budget and $45 million of it goes to keeping Mark Wahlberg happy. So that does make it a little more difficult when you're operating with some restraints there. Um, so with that said, I kind of want to move into our final question. Is there anything else you wanted to touch on, uh, for the viewers here? Yeah. The only other thing that I wanted to add is that, uh, this is a pretty unique movie. I think, um, I'm sure just because there is so many movies out there and naturally I've only seen 98% of all movies ever made, you know, I haven't seen that last 2%. <laughs> so of course there could be another movie like this that I haven't seen, but for me, it was very unique. I can't think of another movie off the top of my head, at least, that has a similar premise or really anything remind me of. And I'm just big on, like, the nature getting back at mankind. Um, a little outside the scope of just movies, but I've been really into the Last of Us games recently. And a lot of that has to do with, like, nature attacking people and kind of taking back the world. Of course, it's a lot more grisly in The Last of Us. But, you know, it, it kind of got me on board with the premise of this movie immediately that like nature was the bad guy here so there's potential here i think there was a lot of potential i think there is a really good version of this idea but since this is what we got hey i mean like if this is the best we got then then cool i'm cool with it yeah no i definitely think that if this was to be remade like i said earlier we could get a much better version of it now but i will give mi chamlon credit where you were talking about this being a unique idea his movies man are something else like you know we make fun of like the you know the twist ending he's gotten and all this and that but in a time where we're all talking about like how movies are just kind of constant remakes of one another or part of these large cinematic universes nowadays or you know we're just kind of returning over ip he continually comes out with movies that for better or worse have unique plots so you know i do give him a lot of credit for making a lot of you know attempts and having some good ideas that translate really well um, but in that vein christian i'm going to move us into our final question here if you could put an m night Shyamalan twist on any historic event to explain it what would it be and why? Now, it doesn't necessarily have to be a horror twist, but it does have to fall under two very strict uh, circumstances. A, it has to be unexpected, and B, it has to arguably make no sense given all context that we understand. So, actually, I, I, I have an idea, but let me, let me hear yours first, Connor. I, I want to hear what, uh, what, what you have to say. All right, so I'm not going to say this is a good idea or that it makes any sense, but the first thing that I thought of when I thought of this question was that 
JFK got abducted by aliens and that it was incredibly difficult to explain that JFK got abducted by aliens. So they put a body double and they shot him in the car. Now, that doesn't make any sense. I don't understand the advantage of that. I don't understand why JFK was abducted by aliens. But I think M. Night Shyamalan could make a really good movie about that. You know, I agree. I want to see that. You know, it's, you're right. That definitely is something coming way out of left field and is right up Shyamalan's alley. And as much stuff, I mean, I find everything surrounding JFK and, you know, how he was killed pretty interesting because it blows my mind that decades later, there is still content, movies, documentaries, books being written about how he was killed and everything like that. I mean, so many people think that it was, you know, a conspiracy or there was more to it and who knows? So that's awesome. (laughs) I think for me, I was going back a little bit further in time and are, are, are you are you familiar with uh roanoke i'm not but i could google it really quickly the city in virginia well to give you a very very brief overview so when if i'm not mistaken and i could be like dead wrong in all of this if not hey make it a cool movie Shyamalan. when settlers were first coming to the country they left a colony at roanoke Um, the people went back on their boats back to presumably England. And when they came back, the entire colony was wiped out, just gone. Just everybody was gone. Just instantly. No one knew what happened. Uh, people believe, I think now that they ate themselves and it turned into cannibalism and that's what happened. But for a long time, it was just complete mystery as to what the hell happened, uh, to those people. So I think it'd be great to do a horror movie twist on that, almost see what was going on at Roanoke during that time, and have it be they entered a time pocket, and because of that, they were dumped into the far future, and you just have this group of, you know, very early uh, colonizers in America suddenly in a future beyond us, and everyone is just kind of wondering, like, what on earth do we do there? Now, we don't need any sense, like you're saying. We don't, we don't need to make any sense or any back this up as to why this happened. But I just want to see a bunch of pilgrims trying to make it in a world where there's, like, flying cars. That, uh, I just Googled Roanoke and was kind of reading up off the history while you were talking about it. First off, that's an insane thing by itself, and I'm going to read about this when we finish this. But that's a great idea. Because, A, it definitely tracks that these people just disappeared, so something weird could have happened. And, B, I think you've got, like, all the potential in the world to do some really strange stuff with this. Like, Rick and Morty-level crazy stuff, where you just dump these people in alternate universes and weird timelines and just see what happens. I think that would actually be really great. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm on board. Shyamalan, let's make some JFK and Roanoke movies. This is this is what you're doing next, buddy. I don't know what you were planning to do, but this is it. M. Knight, I'm sorry I don't know your first name. We're going by M. Knight. M. Knight, give us a call. We've got some ideas. We can send you an email. We're only we're available for small fees. It's not going to be that big. Trust me, it's going to be a good idea for your career. You're, you need us, M. Knight. You need us, M. Knight. Well... With that, Connor, I don't, I don't have anything else to say about the happening. What, you, you got anything else to add before we sign off here? No, that's it. I hate Mark Wahlberg, but besides that, Christian, I need you to stay frosty. You as well, Connor. Stay frosty.